What are your plans for it? How uncharacteristic of one of your reputation. You have taken both commission and payment. Is it not the code of the guild that these events are now forgotten? That best car is enough to make a handsome replacement for your armor. Unfortunately, finding a Mandalorian in these trying times is more difficult than finding the steel. Oh, damn. That kind of sounded like a threat. I think that was a threat. Welcome to issue 56 of 3BZine Presents, the TomCast Popcast, a.k.a. Popcast. I am your host. My name is Tom. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special episode, reviewing episode 3 of season 1 of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Chapter 3 of The Mandalorian is titled The Sin. It is directed by Deborah Chow and written by John Favreau. John Favreau, pretty sure he's going to have his hands all over this one throughout the end of the series, pretty much his story, and it's just being brought to life by a talented team of directors. Uh, right off the bat, we should let you know, if you don't know already, that the, the director of this episode, Deborah Chow, has recently been named as the, the person in charge of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. So pay attention to the, the stylistic flair that she uses in this episode, and you can kind of get a taste of maybe what we're going to see a little bit of on the Obi-Wan show. All right, let's dive on in. This episode picks up basically where we left off, uh, the, the Razor Crest exiting hyperspace back at the planet where our hero, the Mandalorian, first picked, his, picked up this assignment to rescue the beautiful, the cute, the adorbs, Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda, I love you. And uh, as he's coming out of hyperspace, he gets the message from, from his, his Bounty Hunter Guild contact, Reef Karga, played by Carl Weathers, and lets him know that to, once he lands, take, to take the bounty, to take the cargo, the asset, directly to the client for immediate payment. Uh, and as this, scene, as this hologram of, 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 gr- of grief is playing out, uh, little baby Yoda behind, sitting behind the Mandalorian gets out of his little pod and makes his way down to the floor. And he reaches up to one of the levers on the razor crest, and he takes this little, this little ball off the top of the off of off the top of one of the levers, and he tries to put it in his mouth, and the Mandalorian has to take it away from him, and it's adorable. Again, another kind of just, just just showing how fucking wonderful this. I don't want to admit that Baby Yoda's a puppet, but we have to admit the puppetry that's being on display here, that's being put on display here, is uh, goddamn impressive. And uh, it's just wonderful. I mean, I, I can't. I, I've heard stories. Stories have started coming out now from actors on the set, just seeing this 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 puppet and and just lo- losing their minds. I mean, about just how adorable and cute he is. And it's a puppet, but we love him so. All right, so they land on the planet. We're back on this mysterious unnamed planet, and uh, Baby Yoda. We start to wonder. We, at least I start to wonder as as this scene's sort of playing out, because. <laughs> As they're making their way from the Razor Crest, they're walking again through that town that we saw the Mandalorian walk through solo in the first episode, in the first chapter. And this time he has Baby Yoda with him, and Baby Yoda's just looking around like he, like he did when they were walking through the canyons before. And he's just kind of taking it all in, but he's seeing sights that are uh, very new to him. And uh, 
you, you know, maybe a little scary, maybe a little overwhelming. Uh, but he seems to be taking it in stride because he knows the Mandalorian's with him. He looks at the Mandalorian, and you kind of get the sense that Baby Yoda trusts the Mandalorian. And so that no matter what scary things might be around him in this strange new environment, uh, the Mando is going to protect him. Or is he? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So he does, uh, the Mando does as, as Grief tells him to do and takes Baby Yoda back to the client. Uh, we see him banging on the door. The eyeball droid opens the hatch again. This time stormtroopers come out. No gonk droids this time around. Stormtroopers come out, inspect Baby Yoda as the, as the cargo, as the asset, and they uh, allow entry to the Mando. And that's where we kind of get, the, we get that, that scene that we used to open the show with. I'm a little ahead of myself, but we'll get there. So that, that's where that come from. You guys probably watched it. I hope you watched it. And, uh, yeah, and, and the Mando does what, what, uh, what he got paid to do, and he turns over Baby Yoda to that Imperial client and the uh, strange scientist, and he goes against the code, the code of the Bounty Hunters Guild, where he begins to ask questions, and that, that, that's the clip we played. And it, it's, it sets off Werner Herzog's Imperial character. And, and uh, we, we get a good piece of information here, especially as stormtroopers fill the room and begin to sa- surround the Mandalorian, that, uh, and Werner Herzog's kind of going on his little spiel here about, about uh, how there just aren't enough Mandalorians in the universe anymore. And uh, we really get the impression that, that the Mandalorians have been brought to the brink of extinction, much like the Jedi were by the Empire. Um, it seems like the Empire's done the same to the Mandalorians. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later because another scene plays out. But the Mandalorian uh, collects his bounty, the, all the Besker that was promised to him, and he goes on his merry way. Well, maybe not that merry. So payment for the bounty is delivered in a Camtono, which is, for all the astute Star Wars fans out there, the, Cam, the Camtono is the name of the device that we saw way back when in Empire Strikes Back. Once Lando Calrissian issues the order to Cloud City to evacuate, you see a guy running through the, through the halls of Cloud City with what looks like a weird ice cream maker. It is the stuff of legends in, in the Star Wars universe uh, for, for the truly observant and, and, and utterly fascinated by, by the weirdness of some of the Star Wars scenes. And for years and years, that's what we just said. This guy's running through the hallways with his ice cream maker. Turns out it's called a Camtono, and it's a safe, basically. And that's what we see in this episode of The Mandalorian. We see how the Camtonio is opened. We see how treasure is stacked inside of it. And that is how the Imperial client delivers the Beskar payment to The Mandalorian. So that was a nice little touch right there, I thought. What also kind of sets this scene apart, too, is the, the facial expressions that Baby Yoda has as, as, he, as he's being delivered, as he's being taken into custody of these Imperials and of the scientists. You know, there's a scene where the scientist is flashing him with some kind of scanner, and it's just, like, affecting, you know, kind of hurts his eyes. You can tell he looks away from it, doesn't like it very much. Uh, but then the real heartbreaking part is as the scientist is leading the pod into the next chamber, away from where the Mandalorian is at, uh, the way the baby Yoda just stares back at the Mandalorian uh, with uh, this mixture of, of fear in his, in his eyes, a mixture of, of fear and... and, and, and you know, uncomprehension of what's what's happening to it, and uh, it's a really again. I, I, I commended the puppeteering on on this show, and I do it again because, uh, yeah, this this like I said, it's heartbreaking. This puppet's making you cry, and I love it. Baby Yoda is the best. I'm gonna stop calling him a puppet because it's bothering me, and I don't want to think of him as a puppet because I love him so so much. <laughs> 
So, like we said, the bounty hunter then, he collects his bounty, he's got the, the Camtono full of Besker, and he's going to make his way back to the Mandalorian Enclave that's here on, here on the planet. And there's a lot of eyes on the Mandalorian as he makes his way back to the, the armorer. A really important exchange happens here as he meets with the armorer and, and delivers the Besker. This amount can be shaped many ways. My armor has lost its integrity. I may need to begin again. Indeed. I can form a full curus. This would be in order for your station. That would be a great honor. I must warn you, it will draw many eyes. So those heavy footsteps you hear are more Mandalorians from the Enclave as they make their way into the scene here. And um, this is a big first for, for the Star Wars universe because... For the first time in live action, we are seeing more than one Mandalorian on the screen interacting with each other. You know, and we get to hear a ton of vital information about the man, more of the Mandalorian culture and more of, of what exactly has happened to the Mandalorians, this one, once great people, this once great culture of the, the Star Wars galaxy. These were cast in an Imperial smelter. These are the spoils of the Great Purge. The reason that we live hidden like sand rats. Our secrecy is our survival. Our survival is our strength. Our strength was once in our numbers. Now we live in the shadows and only come above ground one at a time. Our world was shattered by the Empire with whom this tower shares tables. Okay, so that's big chunks of information right there already. One Mandalorian at a time, they're protecting their numbers, they're hiding from the Empire still. And now the Mandalorian and our Mandalorian are engaged in a vibroblade fight. The Empire is no longer, and the Beskar has returned. When one chooses to walk the way of the Mandalore, you are both hunter and prey. How can one be a coward if one chooses this way of life? Have you ever removed your helmet? No. Has it ever been removed by others? Never. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. So there you go, big chunks of what's going on with the Mandalorians, why they're in this enclave, why we've never seen more than Boba Fett out at a time. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they actually talk about Boba Fett to any any kind of defining extent. You know, as far as like live action goes, I mean, the last time he's seen in live action is uh, when he is dispatched into the Sarlacc pit and in Return of the Jedi. It was uh, only through um, the un the the expanded universe canon that that Disney's kind of washed away that he was brought back to life and was was very present for like the next you know twenty plus years of of Star Wars lore. Um, but that may not be the case now with, with Disney calling the shots on these things. So it'd be interesting to see if any of this wraps around and loops together with Boba Fett himself. Um, we definitely get the impression from this scene that, uh, you know, this is the second episode in which this great purge is, is referenced on the show. Uh, the first time around was back in, in, in chapter one, the opening episode. And, uh, I, I, wasn't quite sure how to comment on it because I didn't quite know what it was. I, my, my first reaction was that uh, they were referring to, to the Jedi Purge. 
as as some kind of marker in 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 time for the for the for galactic history, and that whatever happened to the Mandalorians happened around the same time. It seems as if there are there was a second you know great purge, and this one is the one that is directly applicable to the Mandalorians and their people. And again, it definitely sounds like it was at the hands of the Empire who wiped them out and then took all their Beskar. And uh, ever since then, they've had to kind of live in secrecy. It, it, it's fascinating stuff to kind of to kind of have to parse through. And uh, you know, now that our Mandalorian's in possession of all this Beskar, uh, he's in prime position to be more known throughout the galaxy, as as, as the armor warns him. Uh, you know, a, a full suit of, of, of Beskar armor is going to draw a lot of attention, bring a lot of notice onto him. And that's uh, pretty much exactly what's going to happen. Before that happens, we still have more scenes with the armor as she is preparing to forge this new armor for our hero. Well, maybe, maybe he's not our hero now. He just turned in Baby Yoda. We can't be that happy with the guy. She offers to forge a, a, a signet for him and, and uh, wants to do the... To, base it off the Mudhorn, uh, with whom damaged his armor so severely that he needs to have this new armor. Uh, but the Mandalorian uh, has to politely decline because it was not a noble kill because of the actions of Baby Yoda. You know, the Force, Baby Yoda using the Force to suspend and, and, and confuse the, the Mudhorn is what allowed the Mandalorian to kill it in, in Chapter 2. So he has to, his code, his honor, uh, his sense of honor uh, compels him to decline. And it's curious the, that he chooses to describe Baby Yoda initially as uh, an enemy to the armorer. And then he has to explain to the, to, the, to the armorer that the enemy didn't even know he was an enemy. And I think the, that's because he's, he's referring to a baby as the enemy. It's, very, it's a very interesting choice of words that the Mandalorian makes. And since he declines the signet, the armor offers to use the excess for what's called whistling birds. What's that? Does that sound like it might be something important? It sure might. We'll get back to that later. Uh, it's interesting also to note that here the Mandalorian makes note to uh, to the armor that the excess after that should go to the foundlings, which of which we know he is one, and we will see more of that throughout this episode, too. So as the Weaponer is forging the new armor for the Mandalorian, our, our, the character we're following, I'm not going to call my hero right now, um, we see he begins to experience flashbacks to his childhood uh, prior to being a foundling. He had to get, be lost first. So we t- are taken back to his childhood, something we flash back to before. He was a small child. His, his planet, his town, his, wherever it is he's living with his parents is now under attack. And we see for the first time the attackers are super battle droids. We don't know any other context than that. We see his parents running with him in their arms, trying to get the, get him as a boy to safety, a small boy to safety, very young. And uh, his parents are killed, we assume, by the super battle droid, because the super battle droid is what opens the, dro- the, the, the cellar doors that he is hiding in. Now, we don't know what happens after that, because we flash back to the present as his armor is done being uh, forged. And so now it's time for the Mandalorian to don his new armor, and he's going to go over to meet with his bounty hunter representative, Mr. Grief Karga, Carl Weathers. And uh, as predicted by the wep- by the weaponier, the, oh, I'm sorry, the, by, as predicted by the armorer, the 
riches of the Mandalorian do not go unnoticed, and they seem to go very, very, very unappreciated as his fellow bounty hunters in the bar uh, are not stoked that he is the one who came away with the prize. It's also interesting to note how every bounty hunter in that bar seems to have the tracking fob that he was given by the Imperial, but none of them seem to get very far as far as uh, the acquisition of Baby Yoda, the acquisition of the, of the bounty. Um, it, it is funny to note, uh, well, it's not funny to note, I was a little surprised, actually, that this episode started kind of the way it did. I thought for sure we might get more of, of, a, of a melee action scene to open this episode where uh, other bounty hunters are attempting to intercept him on his way back to the planet and, and steal Baby Yoda so they can take over the bounty. Uh, instead, it seems that you know, he was able to leave the prior planet and, and return to this planet unimpeded, but that doesn't mean the other bounty hunters like him. I think that's far from the case, as, especially as he's trying to now, you know, in his new beskered up outfit, uh, get back to the bounty hunting business, which surprises Karga to a, a good a good extent. It's a funny, it's a pretty funny scene. It's a pretty funny scene with with uh, Karga because uh, he seems to be the only one happy to see the Mandalorian in the bar. Everyone else is not stoked, and Karga is more than happy to point out that they're all a bunch of losers who failed because they all had the tracking fobs and they didn't do anything about it. And, uh, and then Karga reveals that even he got, got to be rich off, off, the, off the Mandalorian's success. As he, as he reveals, he has a couple of bars of Beskar now as well that he has conveniently hidden in his chest pocket. That might have been foreshadowing for something. We'll talk about it later. The Mando wants a new bounty. It's time for a new bounty. He's got to get back out there. We're not quite sure why he's so driven. Is it, is it because the the rewards that he when he is it because the what he collects for bounties is going to his people to the cult to the mandalorians to kind of get them back on their feet is that why he's so driven to do this or is there uh something else going on not quite sure we're not not sure to say i think it seems reasonable to assume that because there are so few mandalorians out and about at one time it is these finances again are going to help the cause to help his people so he needs a new assignment and he picks one and he's gonna go uh hunt down a nobleman's son a, a, a calamari if uh you know the ones who look like admiral akbar and uh so we're like oh he's gonna go track down a a, a, a we're gonna go to a water planet right that's the next that's the next mission seems like that's the next mission except remember this episode is titled the sin and there's a couple sins that you can talk about in this episode. The first one being the actual giving of Baby Yoda to the Imperials. Another sin could be his professional sin, where he, where he sort of broke the code by asking the, his client what the, what they intended to do with the person. Um, and there could be a little bit more coming up, too. We'll get a little bit further into the, the level of sinning going on here. But the Mandalorian can't leave without asking a couple questions. Any idea what they're going to do with it? With what? The kid. I didn't ask. It's against the guild code. They work for the Empire. What are they doing here? The Empire is gone, Mando. All that are left are mercenaries and warlords. But if it bothers you, just go back to the core and report them to the New Republic. That's a joke. Ooh, low blow. Mando, enjoy your rewards. 
buy a camp to know of spice. By the time you come out of hyperdrive, you will have forgotten all about it. Mm, I don't know. Doesn't seem like it. So clearly the kid is still on the Mandalorian's mind, and as he makes his way back to his shuttle to go after the new bounty, uh, sitting in the cockpit, getting the Razor Crest ready to go, he sees the lever and the, the little ball knob that goes on the top of the lever missing again, and it reminds him of the kid. And it's then and there uh, that the Mandalorian makes the decision that he's going back and he's saving Baby Yoda. I think it reminds him of his childhood, to be perfectly honest, where someone helped him, someone stepped forward to save him, or else he would have died. And now he sees the same thing with this, with this baby Yoda, perhaps. Maybe I'm speculating, maybe I'm making wild assumptions. But that seems to be what's going on here. You know, he sees an innocent, and he wants to help protect it. And what we get next is uh, the Mandalorian returning to the Imperial Compound and doing what Mandalorians do best, which is just fight the fuck out of people. This is a great action sequence. Again, pay, make, make note, particularly during this sequence, because, uh, as we said, Deborah Chow is going to be doing the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. So it's impressive to see what kind of chops she has using the Mandalorian to engage in combat with stormtroopers. It's pretty rad. It's a great action sequence. And uh, those, those uh, whispering, whispering birds that, uh, that the armorer created for, for the Mandalorian come in pretty handy once he gets surrounded at a certain point. And uh, it's, a, again, just a really cool sequence with the, with the character and kind of cements what he'll go through to get this kid. And so he rescues baby Yoda. And, you know, Dr. Pershing's in the lab with him and he's asking what he's done to the kid. And, and Pershing says that he's the reason why the baby's still alive. Uh, apparently the other Imperials wanted to kill the kid. You know, uh, as the Mandalorian is staking out the Imperial compound, we hear parts of, of a conversation between Pershing and the client, the Werner Herzog character, where Werner Herzog basically wants to be done with the child. He wants to figure out how to extract whatever material. He says the word extract the materials uh, from the child. Uh, what is he talking about? Uh, you are not quite sure. I, the, uh, a reasonable assumption is, is midi-chlorians, you know, uh, uh, something so that uh, the Empire can figure out how to, how to make their own Jedis, perhaps. We're not quite sure. That's, that is a, a speculation on my part. Um, but it seems to be logical speculation, and, unless there's something else going on with the Yoda species that they're interested in. Perhaps they don't even know about the Force powers. Perhaps uh, they want something to do with, with his species' uh, longer lifespans, and Werner Herzog's dying, and he wants to live forever. I, you know, I don't know. You could go in a lot of different ways with, the, with these, these villains. So, but I think Force powers seems to be the most reasonable, the most likely. It is Star Wars. Force, midichlorians, I'd be, it'd be kind of a crazy thing for them to re resuscitate the midichlorian arguments because uh, the, the prequels were divisive and midichlorians were one of the big divisive parts, especially of episode one, and they were never mentioned again in episode two and three. Um, so Jean Favreau could be making a very bold choice by, by bringing the midichlorians back into the conversation with Star Wars. But again, this this. That leads to the action sequence. We see the Mandalorian rip the ball droid in half to get in and tricks a bunch of stormtroopers, blows up a bunch of stormtroopers, unleashes the flamethrower on a stormtrooper. We get a crispy fried uh, we get we get a crispy fried stormtrooper out of this this battle. It's fantastic, so cool, so many good shots. And again, you know, uh, this show has a big budget. Don't get me wrong, but they have to spread this budget out over over the nine episode length of the series. 
and and they they do a lot of really cool stuff to make sure that budget gets stretched out and and uh, but they use a good chunk of it on this on this close quarters combat scene, you know, where the Mandalorian uses a bunch of different ways to kill stormtroopers. It's pretty freaking cool. But this isn't the hard part. This is the easy part. Because what's going to happen next is fucking crazy. So what happens next in a, in a very cool scene, but something I was still a little curious about, and I've been trying to um, figure out exactly what happened. As the Mandalorian exits the Imperial Compound, with Baby Yoda in his arms, we flash back to the bar, to the cantina, where all the other bounty hunters are holed up. All the bounty hunters who hate the Mandalorian, by the way. Important detail. And as they're standing there with their tracking fobs, they still have their tracking fobs, and all of a sudden their tracking fobs reactivate, saying that the bounty's back on. Now, I'm curious how that all works. <laughs> because, uh, you know, is it one of those things where the tracking device automatically activates as Baby Yoda leaves the compound, implying he has some kind of chip in him? Or does the Werner Herzog character, the client, does he reactivate the bounty fobs? Because he's the only character we don't see in the Imperial compound. So perhaps he was somewhere else witnessing the Mandalorian slaughtering his troops uh, and, and reissues the bounty hunter and activates all the fobs again. I don't, again, that's not quite crystal clear, but it's a pretty cool scene as all these bounty hunters uh, in the cantina realize that it's back on and they begin to surround him and swarm him in the, in the streets of this town. And uh, it leads to another super cool action sequence for the Mandalorian to have to face off against every other bounty hunter in this town as he tries to make his way back to the Razor Crest with Baby Yoda. And he's doing pretty good for the most part. You know, he seems to be doing all right, but then Reef shows up, Reef Karga, goddamn Carl Weathers. And Carl's not, not, he's not the Mando's friend anymore. Uh, you know, they, he's, the, the Mandalorian has now broken the code, the code of the bounty hunters. Another possible interpretation of the sin that the bounty hunter is committing here as he's now uh, betraying the, the guild that he's part of. What happens next as the Mandalorian seems to be in an impossible situation, despite the fact that he keeps refusing to surrender, is the stuff of Star Wars history. Because what happens next is incredible. Surrounded by his enemies, trapped on a sled, the Mandalorian looks Baby Yoda in the eyes and he knows that this is probably the end for both of them. When just behind him, a rocket streaks across the sky. And suddenly, from out of nowhere, the Mandalorians rise and they unleash holy hell on the bounty hunters who are trying to kill one of their own. And... <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's one of those moments that just gets me so fucking geeked out, so geeked up, and, and just, uh, oh, so I love the Star Wars universe. It's awesome. It's awesome. I've watched it 75,000 times in, in two days because it's so fucking cool. It's, it's again, I've, I've talked about my love of the Mandalores, of, of the culture of the Mandalorians, and, and to see them, to see them rise up together is something we haven't seen before. There's been variations of it in, the, in animated series, in Clone Wars, in Rebels. But to see it real life, in, in real, real time, um, to see it in, in live action, uh, you know, live action series, uh, is, is, is something else. And uh, they are just as impressive as I've always wanted them to be in live action. It's, it's an incredibly great sequence. And um, I want to watch it 75,000 more times because it's so good. The music's so good. The score is so good. The action direct and direction by, by Deborah Chow is on point. It's 
awesome. They got jetpacks and blaster rifles and, and, and missile launchers. It's so good. It's the coolest thing I've seen so far in the show. And this show's been cool for all three episodes. This, but this just blows it out of the water. This takes it up another, another like three levels in one scene. It's awesome. It's so good. So they, they're able to take care of these bounty hunters. They, they give uh, their Mandalorian compadre the, the cover fire that he needs for him and Baby Yoda to take off to the Razor Crest. And that's exactly what they do. And, you know, the Mandalorian, our Mandalorian, has to acknowledge to, to the other Mandalorians that, that you know, they're, they're, they're no longer going to be safe there. They, they have to leave that enclave there where they've been hiding out. And, you know, the, the Mandalorians... The Mandalorians, you know, they have a saying now, and they, they say it again. That is the way. And um, they just accepted it and move on. But they had, to, they had to help their brother in arms, and they weren't going to let him get taken out by a bunch of piddly-ass piddly bounty hunters, a bunch of dum-dums. No way. No way. So, Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian make it back to the Razor Crest. But that Grief Karga, you can't, sh- you can't get rid of him. Uh, they fi- have one more confrontation in inside the Razor Crest, inside the, the bay of the Razor Crest, and the uh, that's when Reef Grief gets it right in the chest and blown out of the back of the ship, and the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda are able to take off, but we see that Grief got hit right where he was keeping his Besker, so Carl Weathers is not dead. Carl Weathers could be coming after the Mandalorian still. I suspect he will play a big part in coming after the Mandalorian going forward. Uh, so that's how this episode ends, just like the way the last episode ended, with the, bounty, with, with the Mandalorian, with Baby Yoda, rising from a planet and taking off for hyperspace uh, together. But now, completely different context, as the bounty hunter knows that he is on... The, that he's no longer a bounty hunter, first of all. He's now on the run. And as... The armorer, as the as the armorer said during that exchange we listened to a little bit earlier, you know, being a Mandalorian is being hunter and prey, and we the first uh, first you know two and three quarters of of these these shows he was the hunter, but now it appears that he's going to be prey, and he's going to have to go and find some allies to uh, help protect him and Baby Yoda. Probably mostly Baby Yoda. It seems like he can fend for himself, but. Uh, you know, he still does have his new, his brand new shiny Beskar armor, um, but people are going to be coming after him. So it's going to be really interesting to see. It's going to be very interesting to see how the show shakes out next. Uh, I'm really, really, really excited about what's coming up next. And um, gosh darn, there's so much to kind of think about and replay and watch over and over again. At the very, very end, as the episode's closing out and they're taking off for, for orbit, to leave orbit, I should say. Uh, to leave the planet. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, you just see a little baby Yoda hand reach up to the, to, the, to, the, to the controller lever. And the Mandalorian just spins that little ball topper off the lever. And he hands it to baby Yoda. And it's so fucking adorable. Um, oh, melt your heart. From, from heartbreak to joyous, raucous applause. That's how this show went today. Our hero, he let us down at the beginning. But he got us back by the end, and I think that's all that really matters, right? And we get a chance to find out more about Baby Yoda in the future. It's going to be incredible. So much to, to, to talk about this episode. I can sing its praises uh, forever and ever and ever, and I probably will. 
Uh, again, there's, there's a lot of information to kind of parse through. I've, I've said that before with the show, but certain scenes kind of allude to a, a much grander tapestry of the Star Wars universe, and I love it. I love it. And I hope they keep kind of pulling on the threads of that tapestry and we get a little bit more information as we go along. And, yeah, the show the show continues to surprise. Um, I, I complained a little bit last week that the, the second episode was only 30 minutes long, but they managed to jam-pack a lot of, of, a, of show into those 30 minutes. This episode was no no different. It was a tad longer, about 37-ish minutes, um, if you take out that minute-long recap at the very, very beginning. Um, but you're, you're telling a lot of story, and there's not a lot of fluff in there. They're not killing a lot of time. I love that we're following one character for the duration of the series, at least for, through the three episodes. You know, we're not stuck with some giant ensemble cast, and we're following uh, characters that we're not as invested in. Um, that's kind of a rare thing nowadays, I think, with a lot of shows. And uh, I love that we're not doing that. I get a little bored with that. I mean, it's one of, it's, if I were to break down my list of complaints for The Walking Dead and other shows of that ilk, it's like we spend a lot of time with characters that I don't give a fuck about. This is all characters I give a fuck about. It's The Mandalorian. It's his show. It should be about him. Now, if you want to give me some more Baby Yoda, I'm not going to get mad at you. But yeah, let's, let's keep the focus where we're supposed to, right here in the middle of the story. Let's keep the fluff out of this. Nice, cohesive, co- concise storytelling. And that's what I want out of my Star Wars, goddammit. Oh, so good. I could, oh, I'm, so, I'm so pumped up now. Watching the Mandalorians descend on those dum-dums and whoop their ass. Incredible. And you also get to find out that our hero, the Mandalorian, is jealous. He has a little, little rocket envy of some of the other Mandalorians. Wants to get himself a jetpack one day. Maybe that'll be his next level up. I don't know. He's got the he's got the Besker though. That's a pretty good level up on its own. We'll have to see how that shakes out as the season progresses. Oh man. Okay, let's wrap it up. I'm just gushing here, and you guys are probably sick of it. Hey everybody, Tom interrupting my own podcast for a little bit of an update because there was a couple things that in my excitement I forgot to discuss with everybody. So let's go back just for a minute to the raid, the Mando's raid on the Imperial compound on the bunker, the rescuing of Baby Yoda. All right, two things we got to mention here that I think we need to pay attention to. When the Mando enters Pershing's lab, Baby Yoda's on an examination table with an IT-0 interrogator droid floating above little Baby Yoda. It's that little ball floaty droid with the syringe that you might remember from A New Hope. He's in the prison cell with Princess Leia. Not a nice droid. What's the purpose of the droid? Is this the extraction process they were talking about earlier in the scene? Or is this you know, some kind of twisted interrogation on a baby. We're not quite clear on that. The only thing that we come out for sure is that that person seems to be in defense of Baby Yoda and that he's, you know, on Team Baby Yoda like the rest of us. Or he was just lying so that the Mando didn't blow his face off. Another thing that uh, I caught on a, on a recent viewing, uh, shortly after I recorded the episode, hey, I'm not perfect. I don't get it all the first couple of times. Uh, a patch on Dr. Pershing's uniform suggests he may have a connection to the cloning facilities of Kamino. And that goes back to something we talked about previously. Is Baby Yoda a clone? Are they trying to clone the baby? Not quite sure. Still got a lot to figure out on that front. But it does appear to be some kind of connection to Kamino and the cloning facilities. Possible red herring, but it, it, I don't think that's there for any other reason than to say, hey, look, clone. Then something else I got a little bit of clarification on after I had initially recorded the episode was that the Mandalorian that engages in the vibro knife fight 
and is basically the only other Mandalorian to have any actual real dialogue in this, um, in this episode, was indeed voiced by Jon Favreau, which I had suspected, but I wasn't quite sure because of the filter on his voice. But that, that has been confirmed. And it's also confirmed that he played a character named Paz Vizsla. This is interesting because on the Clone Wars animated series, Jon Favreau played another Mandalorian during the Clone Wars named Pre Vizsla. Obviously, they have the same last name. So is, it, is, is this the same family? Is there a connection to, or, you know, is this a coincidence? Or, you know, or, you know is there a larger connection here to, to the Vizsla family of the Clone Wars series? Which uh, the Vizsla was involved in the Death Watch, which was a group of Mandalorian warriors that was counter to the peaceful initiatives of, of Duchess Satine. Great episodes of the show, but we'll, we'll, we can dive into more of that later. Just want to get that information out for everybody so that you had a more full picture of the ongoing events of the show. And with that, I'm going to get back into uh, my regularly scheduled wrap-up of the episode. All right, thanks so much, guys. All right, so this is the TomCast Podcast, and if you want to follow us on social media, please do so. We are at the TomCast underscore podcast on Instagram and at TomCast underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also head on over to patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast and join Pophead Nation if you feel like it. That'd be awesome. We'd be stoked to have you. You can join fellow Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody, and the Squidmaster General, Brian Broussard. If you listen to the Watchmen show, you'll know what that means. Oh, so thank you so much to those awesome people for being Patreons. You can also email us, by the way. I forgot to mention. Uh, TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. Hit us up. Let us know what you're liking, what you're loving, uh, what you're not liking, what you're not loving. We'll take it all. I'd uh, love the feedback. love to share all the, all, the, all the news, all the stuff that you guys want to talk about. Let's talk about it together. And if you're feeling so inclined, you can go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. That would go a long way to helping small, tiny, teeny, tiny podcasts like this let the people know that we're doing good stuff and, and they should take the time to listen. And with that, I'm going to wrap the show up, uh, but we are, we are here. It's, the holidays have begun. This is the week of Thanksgiving. So, you know, I don't know who, who listens to the Watchmen episodes, who listens to the Mandalorian episodes. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it on both episodes this week. Uh, I, I want to wish everybody a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have the best of times with all your friends, all your family, anybody you're, you're celebrating the holiday with. Or if you're just going to hang out by yourself and crush, crush a whole turkey on, on your own, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of you. You have to share the leftovers, and that's, that's the way to live life to its fullest. All right, you guys take care of each other, and we will talk again very, very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Ciao, babes. Get out of here. We'll hold them off. Going to have to relocate the covert. This is the way. This is the way. We're not gonna be fucking sunk this year. What is this?